Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this time of worship. Thank you, Lord, for your presence, your power, the weight of your glory in this room. God, just saturate us, Lord. Fill us to abundant and overflowing, God. Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. God answered our prayer this morning. It was beautiful, beautiful time of worship. Beautiful time of worship. Please remain standing for just a second as I read Scripture, the first three verses of our passage that we're looking at this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. The Apostle Paul says this to us this morning. God says, it to, says, this to, says this to us this morning. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we, you and me, us, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Paul will bring you a Bible. Lesson number one I learned from a Saturday. When you change the oil in your vehicle, uh, make sure you put the plug in the bottom. I was in a hurry yesterday because I had a lot of things going on. And I'm changing the oil in the vehicles. I get uh, Daniel's Endeavor in the garage and drain the oil start putting the oil in it, and I got into a hurry, so I started putting the new oil in it. I got to that third or fourth quart, and all of a sudden, out of my peripheral vision, I see this brown circle forming. I was like, no, why? I was so upset with myself. So I spent the rest of the afternoon not watching college football, but cleaning up a garage. And uh, so anyway, I got everything cleaned up in the garage, and I had to go to the dump, my next-door neighbor, David, texted me and said, Hey, man, um, if you're going to the dump today, let me know. I want to go with you. So I texted David. I said, Hey, I'm leaving in five minutes to go to the dump. We hop in the truck. We're heading to the dump. We're going down Long's Pond Road. And me and David are just chit-chatting, just small talk, family talk. How you doing? What's the family up to and all that and the other? And then David says, uh, and, it's, and it's a real mellow atmosphere in the car. And David says, So what you preaching on tomorrow? And I said, the Christian's response to the divide in our country. And David goes, what? <laughs> I mean, he perked up. It came, it came alive. It came alive in that truck. And we had a great conversation going to the dump and back cleaning up my mess. But uh, it did, man. It just all of a sudden, it was like, wow, I got to be there. This, I gotta, me, and, me and Beth will be there tomorrow morning. And, uh, but yeah, is that a hot topic or what? Is that a hot topic today? Everything we saw going on in the news this week, it's just crazy. It's getting, it's getting out of control. It seems like everywhere we look, there's division. There's division in politics, in TV, in media. It's affecting everything. I'm a 25-year Carolina Panther fan. I love sitting down on Sunday afternoons and watching the Panthers play. But I can't even watch my favorite sport without them talking about politics. It just, it just, it just, it's disheartening. It's disheartening. But here's the thing where I felt the Lord leading me this week in my studies of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 22. And that is this. Christian believers in Jesus Christ, what is our response? What is our response to the divide in our country today? I believe the Apostle Paul hits it right here in Ephesians chapter 2. 
I, I believe he nails it. So actually, the part on the divided people, it actually starts in verse 11. But because we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bible, we're going to hit uh, verses 8, 9, and 10. And then at verse 11, we'll dive into the divide that the Apostle Paul was dealing with 2,000 years ago. So let's take a look at it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. The scripture says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Simply put in this verse, there's two gifts that God has given every believer. What are they? Look at the verse. The first one is grace. He's given us grace. What is grace? Grace is God's benevolence, his love, his mercy, his grace towards us, his kindness towards us. Despite our rebellion and our sinful fallen state, he has shown us grace. And that, according to verse 8, is what? It's a, it's a gift of God. It's free. It can't be earned. But look at what else he gives us in verse 8. He gives us faith. Now, we've all heard Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But I, have my, I, found, I, I found my definition this week of faith. And this is Pastor David's definition of faith. Faith is when the promises of God enter our heart and they produce belief and trust in Jesus. It's when we take God at his word, his word comes into our heart. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And they produce faith in us. That is a gift. That is a gift. God's grace, his benevolence is a gift to you. Uh, your faith in him is a gift. Because we saw last week um, in, in Ephesians, in the first ten verses, that we were dead. We were in the mortuary. But he brought us to life. And he showed us grace and he given us faith. And look at verse 9. Verse 9. Um, you can't say, look at me. Not as a result of works. Not as a result of work so that no one may boast. No work we can do to earn God's favor. That will liberate believers. We have so many people within the church, in the body, across this planet. They think they got to earn their way. They think they got to thrust. They think they got to they gotta, they gotta do, do, do. It's not, it's not for the Christian. It's not do, do, do. It's done, done, done. And it's done at the cross. It's a free gift. People wrestle with that. That's what separates Christianity from all the other major world religions. They're all works-based. We climb our ladder to heaven, but Christianity says, no, God came down in the, at the cross, and he made a way for us. And then verse 10, love this verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And the word I want you to underline there, if, if you're a note taker and you write notes in your Bible, is that word workmanship. It says, for we are his workmanship. The Greek word is poema, from whence we get the English word poem. And a poem reflects what? A poem reflects the poet. It reflects the one who's doing the writing. So our life is, is a poem, as a Christian, our life is a poem that's being written by God. What is your poem saying? What is the poem of your life? If you're born again and you're saved, 
what is the storyline that God is writing in your life? What is the storyline of his uh, sovereignty, of his mercy, of his grace? What is he doing in your life? Look, because he's writing a poem. If you're a believer in Jesus, he's writing his poem. Look, open your eyes and see what God is doing. If you don't see anything, say, God, show me. Show me. Let me see what you are wanting to do in my life. How many of y'all remember Jeff Moore in the distance? Wow, I am getting old. 1993, Jeff Moore in the distance. They sang a song called Live to Tell. And I love that song. It was like my theme song as, as, a, as a young Christian. He says, I will live to tell of the God who has rescued my heart. I will live to tell of his wonder and grace. It's our life as a poem, as a reflection of what the Lord is doing in our lives. And it's simply by just surrendering to him and submitting to him and letting him write his poem. And it says, which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in him. God has prepared this for you. That means that it will happen in his strength, in his power, in his timing. You know, we don't have to conjure it up. We don't have to turn the wheel. We don't have to get on the gerbil wheel. We just have to open our heart and let him do his work in us. Amen? So, verse 11, look at the very first word, therefore. Therefore, he says, Paul says, in light of grace, in light of God's truth, in light of the faith he's given us, in light of uh, we being his workmanship, now he's going to go and he's going to deal, the apostle Paul is going to deal with the divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Paul here in verse 11, he's dealing with the, the ethnic divide, the circumcised um, versus the uncircumcised. They had opposing beliefs, opposing values. They didn't agree on anything. And does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Now, this is why it's very important to have a literal translation of the Bible. The New King James, the King James, the NASB, the ESB, and many others. If in, a, in a literal translation of the Bible, we you capture the meaning of verse 11. Whereas if you have a paraphrase, you, you might lose a little bit of it. But actually, um, verse 11 is, is, a, is, is, a, is a statement of reproach. He says, therefore remember that you formerly the Gentiles in the flesh who are called the uncircumcised. The Jews called the Gentiles the uncircumcised. It was a term of reproach. It was a slap in the face. It was a mockery in their eyes to call people outside of the Jewish nation uncircumcised. Listen to what David said of Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 26. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of God. There was no love loss between the Jews and the Gentiles. I want to read to you some of my research I found this week in the divide between the, the Jews and the Gentiles of the first century, 2,000 years ago. The Jews on the Greeks, or the Gentiles. The Jews hated the Gentiles. The Gentiles suppressed them, enslaved them, and killed them. There were Jewish women who would refuse to help Gentile women in childbirth because in doing so, they would be responsible for bringing them uncircumcised into the world. The nation of Israel, most of y'all know what it looks like, 
right slap dab in the middle of the nation of Israel is a land called Samaria. And the people in Samaria were part Jew, were part Gentile. And the Jews, the Jewish people, they would avoid going through Samaria. They would actually go to the left, cross over the river, go up north, then go back into northern Israel. They would not traverse that region known as Samaria. They wouldn't do it. But if they did do it, if they did travel through Samaria, before re-entering the Holy Land, they would shake the dust off their sandals and their clothing so they wouldn't contaminate the Holy Land with Gentile dust. There's a huge divide. If a young Jewish man or woman married a Gentile, their families would have a funeral service symbolizing the death of that loved one. And we still see that in some cultures today. But it was practiced then. The Greeks, the Gentiles were just as bad. They, they claimed uh, racial superiority in, in the first century Roman Greco world. Caesario said, all men are divided into two classes, Greeks and barbarians. So either in their eyes, you're either Greek or you're a barbarian. Paul alludes to this in Colossians and Romans when he's referring to the, the racial, the, um, the gospel being for all people. He talks about the Greeks and the barbarians. Uh, the Greeks considered their language to be the language of the gods. They exalted themselves in their way of thinking. Uh, the Gentiles, the Gentile nations, they, traded, they treated Israel as slaves. So there was no love loss. They were at each other's odds. We see this in Pilate's statement to Jesus in John 18, 25. Pilate says to Jesus, to the Son of God, to his face, he says, I am not a Jew, am I? I'm not one of them that delivered you over to me, am I? Like, like he's saying, don't associate me with those people. I'm not one of them. The very first Gentile converts to Christianity was Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Peter has this vision. The sheet comes down. God says, Every, what I have called clean, do not call unclean. Uh, Cornelius' servants go bring Peter to Caesarea. Peter goes to Cornelius' house. It's the very first Gentile converts to Christianity. This was the, the very first um, encounter in the book of Acts where Gentiles got saved. Peter goes into Cornelius' house. The first thing that happens is uh, Cornelius falls at his feet. It says he, he says he, he worships Peter. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Get up. Get up. And in Acts chapter 10, we see one of the most beautiful presentations of the gospel from Peter to Cornelius. But listen to what Peter said before he gave him the gospel. In Acts chapter 10, verse 28, Peter says to him, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner. Or to visit him. And yet, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Even the early church struggled with this issue. They, they struggled. That was one of the toughest challenges of Christianity in the first century. Was going from the, the Jewish religion, the Jewish nation, to this gospel that Jesus says, Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Europe, Africa, America, China. North Pole, South Pole, everywhere. That was one of their most difficult situations that they faced in, in the transition from Old Testament Judaism to New Testament Christianity. So back at verse 11, back at verse 11, the, uh, there was no love loss. 
So there was, this, there was this divide between them two. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 is one of the most tragic places any human could be. It's, it's the, um, the second remember. Verse 11 says, therefore, remember. Verse 12 says, remember this. As he's talking to uh, the, ch- the church at Ephesus. He says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. In other words, you Gentile believers, you had no messianic hope. You had um, no deliverer. You had no promised Messiah. Continuing, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You have, and he was saying, now he's saying, you have no part in the kingdom. You have no part in the kingdom. This now, the here now, the kingdom of God, and no part in the future kingdom. And it says, and strangers to the covenants of promise. These Gentile believers, before they were in Christ, they had no part in the Abrahamic covenant, or for any of God's promises for that matter. They were separated, they were alienated from Scripture. And then it says, having no hope. What is hope? Hope is expectation of coming good. There was no eternal, lasting hope in their life. And without God in this world, a desolate, barren land, that's where the Gentiles were before they came to Christ. So Paul's reminding them of the, of the, of the division and, and, and where they've come from. But look at verse 13. In verse 13, he turns the corner. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood what have we been brought near to what have the Gentile believers been brought near to go back and look at verse 12 what he was talking about You've been, you Gentiles have been brought near to Israel's Messiah you've been brought close to the one who would be our deliverer uh, in verse 12 you've been brought close to the kingdom you know we are in the kingdom the kingdom of God is righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit him dwelling inside of us we, we're a part of the kingdom and knowing that we're going to be a part of the future millennial reign of Christ here on earth. Uh, we're brought near to the promises of God. We're brought near to having hope. We're brought near to having God in our life and having this, having this uh, blessing of him being in our life. But look at verse 13. What brought us close? What brought us close in verse 13 at the very end? The blood of Christ. The Bible says without shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. It's the blood of, of Christ. It's his sacrificial death at Calvary that unites all believers. It's his sacrificial death at Calvary that brings us in. It's what we have in common this morning. It's what brought us together. Well, except for David. He's my neighbor. I see him every day. But for us, the body is what's brought us together. It's what, it's what unites us. And if that was all that God did, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. But it doesn't stop there. Salvation doesn't start, or excuse me, it doesn't start and end inside of you. It works its way out. And it goes even deeper. Look at verse 14. For he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace. Who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Folks, in verse 14, he is not talking about the peace that we experience in salvation. He's not talking about peace of mind. He's not talking about peace with reconciliation with God. What he's talking about in this verse is is the peace between the Jews and the Gentiles, between these divided people. And, And 
Why is there peace? Why is there peace between these two groups that are totally opposite? Because now they both submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. They have that in common. And that relationship with Christ trumps everything. It's what brings us together. But despite our political views, despite your tradition, despite your philosophy of life, how you raise your kids, how I raise my kids, what you do with your life, what I do with mine, the lordship of Jesus Christ trumps everything. I'm going to quote from somebody I haven't quoted from in a very long time. But guess what? I want to tell you what David Gusick says. What David Gusick says about this verse. He says, The wall of separation is gone because of the common lordship is greater than any previous division. If the lordship of Jesus Christ, oh, this is good. Listen closely. According to Pastor David Gusick, if the lordship of Jesus Christ is not greater than any difference you have with others, whether it be political, racial, economical, language, geography, whatever it is, then you have not fully understood what it means to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because it breaks down everything, my friend. And you guys are family. Not just you guys, but the church as a whole. The Baptist church down the street. CLA. All my brothers and sisters in Christ. The division has been broken down because of our common faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we both, as Christians now, as believers, we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And by submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you're submitting to the Word of God. So here's, here's what that looks like. A Jewish believer seated next to a Gentile in, in a fellowship, in a church, the Jewish believer can look over at the Gentile believer and say, Dude, you're no longer a fire, you're, you're no longer a fire log for hell, but you're a brother in Christ. Because that was a common belief back then. Jews that believed that the Gentiles were logs and fuel for the fires of hell. Not no more. They are brothers in Christ. That means that the, the, Jew, the, Jewish, um, the Gentile believer can look at his Jewish brother and say, you know what? You're no longer a barbarian. You're family. Do you see? If he can break it down then, he can break it down today. The barriers that divide us. But the commonality is Jesus Christ. That's where we meet. We meet at the watering hole. We meet under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We meet at the cross. We meet where the word of God brings us to. And that unites us all. That, that connects us all. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 20. It should be up on the screen. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We're all sons of God by our commonality of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For all of you were baptized into Christ having clothed yourselves with Christ. That word baptized means you've been brought into union with the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been brought and taken from darkness into light. And here's the icing on the cake, verse 28. If you don't have it underlined, you should. It's a powerful verse. There is, here it is. The wall's gone. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This would have been very, very hard for a devout Jew to swallow. This would have been very hard for a devout Gentile in their philosophy and their way of thinking to swallow. 
but it's the truth. It's the truth, and it's what happens when we come to faith in Christ Jesus. That's why you could take me right now, or you could take Gary, you could fly him around the world, drop him off in Bangladesh in a small church, and y'all got fellowship. Y'all got a commonality. Y'all fist pumping and hugging and singing hymns and, and reading scripture together. You're all together. You're one. Because God sees one body, one organism, one group of people. He does, God does not look down and say, okay, here's my American church. Here's my Chinese church. Here's my um, African church. Here's my European church. He doesn't look at it that way. He looks at, at us as one body. He looks at us as one body on this planet. And to see it any other way would be a sin. Because Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 three times for our unity. For our unity within the body of Christ. And of course that unity falls under after a person gets saved. Salvation is first. The person comes to Christ, they get saved, and then they join in with the body. Verse 15. He's, he's getting deep here. He's, uh, he's diving into the weeds of the division between the Jews and the Gentiles. He says, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one man, thus establishing peace. This means that Christ's sacrifice removed what divided the Jews and the Gentiles. The ceremonies, the dietary laws, the holy days, it removed those things. And it gave the, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers one common focus. And that is the cross. That is Jesus. That is the focal point of Christianity. It's not, it's not the, the holy days. It's not the ceremonies. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot of stuff that can divide us today. There's a lot of stuff that can divide us. I'm trying to cross that bridge. Now he's talking about believers in the first century that are Jew and Gentile. But even within the body of Christ, there can be a lot of things that divide us today. Tradition, politics, uh, philosophical views, our way of thinking. Sometimes we just think differently. There's a lot of things that can stand in the way of our division. What do we do with those? What do we do with, the, with our traditions, our politics, our philosophical views, our way of thinking? What do we do with those? Here's what we do with them. You lay yours down. I lay mine down. And we unite under the lordship of Jesus Christ and, and, and under the uh, authority of his word. That's what we do. Part of becoming a Christian and a follower of Christ is that as we grow, we submit to his word. And his word becomes our way of thinking. His word becomes our way of life. His word uh, influences and affects our philosophies and, and our way of thinking. That's what we do. That's what we do. And then we can have conversations on the side. And we can talk about politics. We can talk about tradition. We can talk about philosophical views. But at the end of the day, it's going to be we unite at the cross. We unite at the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's continue on verses 16. Verses uh, 
16 through 18, I'm going to call them the invitation. Verses 16 through 18. This is, the, this is the invitation for people to come and be a part of what we're talking about, of this unity, of this body of Christ. Verse 16, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. Jew, Gentile, Greek, all people, there's only one, there's, there's not a Jewish way to God, there's not a Gentile way to God, there's one way to God. He says, he, he says to reconcile them both in one body, to reconcile all people groups in one body, and that is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. Why do they need to be reconciled? The very last word of the verse, enmity, that means hostility, because there's a hostility between man and God, our sin. Our rebellion pro produces a hostility, and that peace has to be dealt with. And it applies to all people, whether you're a 17-year-old teenager on the streets of Bangladesh riding your bicycle through town, or you're the corporate exec at Bank of America in Charlotte, North Carolina. They're in need of the same thing, and that is to be reconciled to their Heavenly Father, to, to make peace with God through Jesus Christ, and to remove that, the um, hostility between them. Verse 17, a quote from Isaiah, it says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. My friend, the gospel is for all people. The gospel is for all people throughout the world. There's no people group that this gospel is not for. Jesus said in uh, Mark 16, 15, he says, go into the world and do what? Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to all creation. Matthew 28, 19, to make disciples of all nations. Because this gospel is for all people. To, to invitation to come into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then be a part of this organic, spiritual body that we call the church. Beautiful plan amazing plan that God takes us out of darkness and puts us into light and then uses us for his kingdom and for his purposes so that we are his workmanship we are that poem that the scripture says that we're writing and look at there's two there's two big words in verse 17 let's not skip over those and he came and preached what peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are far away I bring peace to those who are close, I bring peace. How is that peace? Unity. Unity in the body of Christ. Unity amongst believers is what Christianity offers. It makes for a happy heart, does it not? When we're living in peace, when we're living in harmony, where we love one another, we take care of one another. Now, don't get me wrong. We help those in the world, too. That's part of our witness. We help people in the world, and, and we, we love them, and we care for them. But we also let them know that the ultimate unity comes in being a Christian and being a part of the body. Verse 18, looking at the, this invitation to come and be a part of this plan, that he offers us peace and he, reconciliation and re removes the enmity. Verse 18, for through him we both, talking about Jew and Gentile, have our access in one spirit to the Father. 
what he's saying here is there's only one watering hole. There's only one watering hole for all believers. And that watering hole, that water cooler is Jesus. He's where we meet. He's where we meet. He's the cake. We'll, 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 we'll work on everything else later. But he is where we all gather. For through him we both have our access in one spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the Trinity right there in verse 18, if you didn't see it. Through him, Jesus, access to one spirit, the Holy Spirit, and to God the Father. So that's the invitation. That's the invitation that the gospel presents to all people. To come and be a part of the body of Christ and be unified and let the walls fall down. Whether they're ethical, racial, social, political, whatever they are. All the calls. But let those things fall and let us be united as one body. And let's present that to the world. And, and heaven forbid that, that, that the church presents an image um, to the world that we're not in unity. That's very discouraging. We don't want to do that. Verses 19 through 22 is uh, how, how God unifies us. The mechanics. So if you put your thinking, brain, th- thinking brains on and think about the mechanics. And I'll call these the three F's. How does God unify us? Um, let's look at the first one in verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. How does he do it? The first thing he does is he brings you into the family. He brings you into the family. Look at verse 19. You are no longer a stranger. You're no longer an alien. You're a fellow citizen. What he's saying there is you're one of us. You're part of the body with the saints and are of God's household. What a beautiful thing that God does for us. You know, um, I love my family. I love my mom. I love my dad. I love my, my relatives and always will. But I will never forget when I got saved. All of a sudden, man, my family went from seven or eight people to two or three hundred people. I just loved the fellowship of the church. And I love the camaraderie I have with the men and, and everyone in the church. It's a beautiful thing to be a part of the family. And for some people, that's one of the things they struggle with most in life. is finding a place to be a part of. Church, let us be that. As, as we share the gospel. As we let people know about the good news of Christ. As we invite people to church. Hey, come be a part of the family. You, my friend, are no longer a stranger. You, my friend, are no longer an alien. We're all fellow citizens. We're together. You're family, but you know, you're still not a stranger. Um, but we're part of the family. So that's, that's the first thing he does. He puts us in the family. Let's look at the next one. The next one, I'll, I'll give it to you up front. He gives us a new foundation. He gives us a new foundation. Verse 20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, he gives us a new foundation. And what's the first stone they lay in a building when they're building a building? The cornerstone. Who is the cornerstone? Christ Jesus. This is our foundation. This is our foundation. This is what brings us unity. Our old foundation, the old foundation that our life was built on, philosophy, the, the the philosophical views that we had, our prejudices, our way of thinking, what, they're gone. They're gone. And we have this new foundation 
built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. What the prophets and the apostles have given us through the word of God. They've given us a firm foundation, a strong foundation, a foundation that can't be shaken, a foundation that has lasted now for over 2,000 years. All other foundations come and go, rise and fall. Go away. Rise up. But not the foundation of Scripture. For 2,000 years, this is the foundation that has stood the test of time. It's the foundation built on the apostles and the prophets, on the written word of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ as his cornerstone. All right, so if you're, if you're tracking me, verse 19, he puts you in a new family. Verse 20, he, put, he gives you a new foundation. Let's look at verse 21. Verse 21, I'm calling this our, 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 the third F, our focus, our new focus. He says, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Let's break down this verse. The whole building, he's talking about there, the body of Christ across the planet, the, all the believers in Jesus. He says they're being fitted together like a puzzle. They're coming together and they're working together. And they're bringing this beautiful, organic, if that's what some people like to use, rising from nothing body of believers who come together to serve and preach the gospel and to serve the body and to preach the gospel. And he says in there, he calls us, um, in verse 21, he calls us a holy temple. In verse 22, he says, we're a dwelling of God in the spirit. The church is not an institution. The church is not an institution. And we, we need to remember that. Let that go deep, that the church is not an institution. We are a spiritual body. At 12, roughly around 11.50, 12 o'clock, we, we can officially say the church has left the building. Because the church is not here. The church <clears throat> is in us. It's in us. This new focus is, is, is finding your place in the body of Christ. Finding your place in the body of Christ. It's, it's, it's um, fulfilling the Great Commission. It's letting, as we saw back at verses um, 8, 9, and 10, it's letting God write his poem in your life. It says, he, he repeats several phases in, in verse 21. He says, verse 21, being fitted together. In verse 22, being built together. Guys, we got to get along. We got to get along. We got to come together. And we got to work together. And this is one of the new, those nuances, those difficult nuances of church. Dealing with different people from different walks of life. Here's, what, here's how you deal with different people from different walks of life. It's called G-R-A-C-E, grace. And understand you're from there, I'm from there. I'm from a different place. We have different ways of thinking, different philosophies, and we may not always um, see eye to eye, but we come together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We show each other grace in those secondary issues and we unite in our commonality of serving God. So, going back to my question as, I, as I'm, I'm going to wrap it up here. Uh, what is the Christian's response to the division we see in the, in the world today? It got ugly this week. I, I, was about, I, I told Irene, I said, cut that TV off. Cut that TV off. Cut social media off. My brain can't handle this no more. I was, I was done. 
I was done. But what do we do? It's the, the answer to the divide we see in our country is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is, is Jesus. He's the only answer. Because people on the left aren't going to bend to the right. People on the right aren't going to bend to the left. People need to get saved and fall up under the lordship of Jesus Christ. The thesis of my message this morning is this. The gospel alone has the power to make complete strangers friends. Complete strangers friends. People that never knew each other. But all of a sudden you meet that person and they're a believer. And there's just a a friendship that forms. That's the power of the gospel. The gospel alone can make the most hated enemies our family. People that were at odds with each other, they hate each other, they couldn't stand each other. And now, through the gospel, they can become family. They can become family. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it breaks down every ethical, social and political barrier known to man. It's in him and him alone. You know, people don't need to go out and do all this research on, on how we're going to fix things, how we're going to divide things. We just got to bring the gospel. We got to bring the gospel. That's what will unite us. In churches, they see us united. They're going to be like, hmm, I think I want some of that. I could use that. That's a tool for witnessing. When people's heads are about to blow up over all this mess and the angers and the tempers and the Facebook posts and the Instagram posts and the news articles. We can say, hey, I got a place where you can come be unified. Come receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repent and believe the gospel and be a part of the body of Christ. That's what we offer. Now, in closing... I want to leave you with hope. I have read of a vision. And there is hope for the future. It will not collapse for the followers of Jesus Christ. It will not collapse for the followers of Christ. I have, I want to use this word careful, I don't want to say I've seen. I have read into the future. I have read into the future. I want to close with this. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. There is hope and there will be a common group of believers that come together and that are unified. Let's check it out from Revelation chapter 7. And after these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count. Stop right there. Which no one could count. It's going to be a lot of people. It is going to be a lot. Innumerable. The scripture says, which no one could count. It tells me it's going to be a lot of people from every nation, from China, from Europe, from Africa, from America, from South America, from the North and South Pole, and everywhere in between. A great multitude, which no one can count from every nation and all tribes and all peoples and all tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What's uniting those people? The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne 
into the lamb. You can't break the body of Christ. You can't break it. Let me tell you why it can't be broken. Because it's not our plan. It's not our program. It's God's. It's God's plan. And for the faithful followers of Christ who submit to his lordship and follow his word, there's, we can't be divided. We, we cannot be divided. We will not let ourselves be divided. And this is what we offer to the world. This is our answer to the, to, to the division we see in our world. Is Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage where you've shown us how the Apostle Paul has dealt with the divide between the Jews and the Gentiles. Help us, God, to put these principles in and help us to take heart and know that your kingdom will not be divided. And this is a place where believers from all walks of life, excuse me, people from all walks of life can come Become a believer and be a part of the body that will be unified in their service to you. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for Ephesians chapter 2. Lord, let us cherish these words. Let them sink down deep. And Lord, let them change our view when we walk out the door in serving you. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen.